Good morning. It is Monday, August 3rd, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on Community Pulse, we'll embark on a COVID news roundup from over the weekend. Our host, Dr. Elizabeth Allman, is joining us by phone this morning. Dr. Allman is a local family physician and host of Your Health Matters here on KOPN. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Mallory. Thanks for joining me. And thanks to the listeners for joining in. I just think the the number that is sort of um, in my head the most this morning is that we had 60 cases, new cases reported in Boone County on a Saturday. So I think that may be an all-time record. And for that to happen on a Saturday, I hope that what it means is we just have a better ability to report cases on the weekend, um, and we'll just have to see what Monday and Tuesday tend to be the the big days for reporting, and Saturday and Sunday tend to be lighter days. So, but let's start off with the global approach. So, globally, there are 18 million um, cases identified, with uh, close to 700,000 deaths, 693,000 deaths and 11.2 million people recovering. In the United States, we're still running about one in four of the world cases, uh, even though we're one in 20 of the population. Uh, 4.8 million uh, people uh, documented to have the disease, uh, the infection, with 158,000 deaths and 2.3 million people in recovery. And um, Matthew Holloway's data, um, we are... Uh, continuing to see cases climb. So in the last 24 hours, we've had 561 uh, new cases, which, um, you know, it's, it's less than typical, but um, again, it's a weekend. So it'll be interesting to see with Boone County reporting more cases over the weekend, what's going on with that. Um, and just on time, my office phone starts to ring right as we start on the phone. So that's an interesting background noise for me. 52,000 cases total in Missouri. Average daily cases did not increase for the last two days. So we've had a downturn in seven-day averages. Uh, let's hope that'll hold. Our uh, positivity rate has um uh, is, is up to 13.7%, which is a concerning indicator that we're not testing enough. And we've had 1,320 deaths in uh, Missouri. In Boone County, we are up to uh, 1,251 cases, and we had our fourth death over the weekend, um, uh, a person who was over the age of 80. <clears throat> And uh, again, over the weekend, we had sort of a little surge in cases on Saturday uh, locally. Our, one of the other numbers that I'm following is our RT value, which we can explain later, but basically it's a, uh, looking at the rate of spread of the virus, um, and it correlates pretty quick, closely with how our shelter-in-place, um, uh, the timing of our shelter-in-place uh, implementation and um, ending. And we're now at 1.24. We're the second highest in the nation as far as the spread rate. Uh, um, we're sort of neck and neck with Hawaii back and forth. Um, and the, 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 the things that we've been thinking of as hotspots like Arizona, Florida, 
Texas, those are now um, having much lower spread rates, so their RT value is much lower than ours. Um, in Boone County, we have a total of uh, 187 cases actively in isolation with 568 contacts in quarantine. So it looks like we are, the health department is having, I want to call it's not a better job. We've got long enough numbers. I don't know what that means. It means that there are more case, contacts per case than we've seen lately, and I hope that means that contact tracing is um, it's happening uh, with more ease. So those are the numbers um, over the last over this last week. There was a little bit of oh, I don't know a brouhaha, I think, about um, what was going to happen at the University of Missouri and their response to active cases. Um, so the university was considering a change to its plans for reopening that would require students to report to campus officials if they test positive for novel, novel coronavirus. And I should let you know that I am quoting an article by Rudy Keller posted in the July 31 edition of the Tribune. And apparently there were some comments made at town hall meetings um, saying that there would be no responsibility for uh, students on the university campus to report uh, uh, their um, their cases. And um, Linnell Phillips, who is a, um, a public health expert, um, local, um, uh, works with the um, uh, local community, uh, public health department. So I'm just going to let her, I'm going to use her words to describe her. She's a former Centers for Disease Control and Prevention public health advisor, 25 years of public health experience in communicable disease outbreak response, current volunteer at the Columbia Boone County Public Health and Human Services, and assistant teaching professor at MU School of uh, Health Professionals. So profession. So she was concerned about the way this has been um, described. So she wanted to clarify that um, in the state of Missouri, a positive COVID-19 test is considered a reportable condition according to state regulation. So there are laws in the state that say if a laboratory or a physician or a nurse practitioner or a health professional diagnoses a case of a list of conditions, then that's reportable. We are required by law to call the health department and let them know. So sexually transmissible infections, um, I think chickenpox, uh, measles, um, these these illnesses where infections where the health department would want to be able to take an early and active response, those are considered reportable conditions. And laboratories that get a positive result have just an automatic um, policy that they just let the health department know about that. Um, so, and then there is, so there is no need for an individual person to report their positive case to anyone. We have a mechanism for that. Um, there are a few holes in the system, but it is, it's a good system. So an MU is in the process of hiring a team of case investigators and contact tracers to assist the health department. So the health department and the student health center at the university have a long history of working well together. I'm remembering when I briefly worked at the health department, the, I mean, at the, at the student health center, the health department was hoping, was encouraging us to and guiding us about 
when we should be swabbing everybody with influenza-like illnesses to see whether we would detect the first cases of influenza after uh, the winter break was over. Um, so once a COVID-19 test is reported to the health department, the health department will coordinate with MU Student Health Center to ascertain if the case is actually an MU student. And then they have a, they have a way of deciding whether who needs to be contacted. So, um, so once they establish the date that they think the symptoms set on or the date they were tested, if they were asymptomatic, and they help the student or the person, whether they're a student or not, think about the 48 hours before that happened to identify their close contacts. And those close contacts are defined by the Centers for Disease Control as someone that you were closer than six feet to more than 15 minutes without a mask or other PPE. So um, any of those people, are they're considered close contact, and the health department or the MU Student Health Center will contact them anonymously. So as a member of this community, you have a right, or not a right, you can have an expectation that if you have been in close contact with a person who has tested positive and that person remembers it and tells them, that, that the health department will contact you and say, you need to know that you have been the close contact of a case. They will not tell you who it was or when or when or where. And they will advise you about quarantine and about timing and appropriateness of testing. So um, my policies at the MU, what they say they're going to be doing is they're going to be requiring six feet um, distance and masks. So we do not expect that any classroom uh, interaction will count as a close contact. So there is no need for a person who tests positive to call their professors and say, you know, it's likely that I was infectious when I was in your math class last Tuesday at two o'clock because we're expecting everyone to be six feet away from each other and wearing a mask and we're expecting the professors to be um, uh, helping that happen. Dr. Alleman, is is so those social dis are those social distancing measures that reliable though to say you know okay we know that everyone has stayed six feet apart even if they were confined in a classroom for an hour, um, yeah I I don't know does that does that seem like a valid enough reason not to notify those professors and those students who were sitting six feet away from that positive case. So here's the thing, Mallory, it's not 100%, you're right. But the truth is our testing is not 100% either. Mm -hmm. Like we're not testing all the people. So you, if, if some, and we never know where a person got it from. We always want to know that. Who, who gave it to me? We don't know. It's in the community. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's this idea of, well, I would want to know even if there's any chance that I could have been exposed. Okay, well, then you need to stay home. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you go out, there's a chance that you and, and you interact with people. I'm not saying in your own backyard by yourself. But if you are taking a walk with a friend, if you are going shopping for groceries, there is a chance, you know, washing your hands, wearing a mask, staying six feet apart from each other. All of those things are very, very helpful, but they do not reduce your risk of contracting the disease to zero. Mm hmm. But they do mean that you now you might have had, say, in the last week, you might have had 100 such contacts if you went to the grocery store. And so focusing on the one person that was in math class that you knew about 
is to ignore the 30 or 40 other people you came in that much contact with mm-hmm. or a similar amount of contact over the last week. Mm-hmm. So getting calls from people who, when we hear, when they first tell me the story, I think, oh, I can see why you're worried. And then it's like when we break it down, it's like, oh, you're a contact of a contact of a case. We don't even know whether the person that you came in contact with has the infection. They just had a contact with, they just had a close contact with someone who was a case. I think we've been presuming, we've been so, our public health messages, because they're supposed to be clear and simple, are often so simple that they aren't quite true. And I am so sorry about that. But it's about human communication, and I haven't been able to fix that yet. (laughs) So here's the thing, is that if you are a close contact of someone, you still aren't 100% guaranteed that you're going to get the infection. Our healthcare workers are in close contact with people. And it, it does not, getting healthcare and being in the hospital does not seem to be a common way that we, we are not seeing super spreader events in hospitals. Are healthcare workers getting it? They absolutely are. Um, but they are not getting it as quickly as they have all feared. So the PPE seems to be working fairly well in the hospital. So I'm talking to people who say, oh, but I'm a nurse and I cared for a COVID positive patient. So... I figure everybody in my household needs to get tested because I'm sure I have it. I'm like, well, wait, how do you know you have it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, you know, that does put things into perspective for me. Um, thank you. Right. Yeah. Cause we are not, this is not like measles where, um, you know, a measles patient, a, a person who is infected with measles can walk through a large international airport and people who walk through the same hallway hours later can get measles. This does not appear to be spreading like that. Hmm. It, there is some aerosol spread, but we don't seem to be seeing it that way. Do we have an explanation for every person who gets infected? We do not. But even household contacts are not 100% going to get it. So we're looking at between 30 and 60% of household contacts uh, get, get infected. So um, anyway, so we, we believe that we have a plan for making sure that people who test positive in a school setting, whether it's Columbia Public Schools or the University of Missouri, um, that we have a way to handle contact tracing in those settings. And, and I know we're really thinking about schools now, and we're all with heightened awareness, and, and I'm, I'm among them. Um, really, schools are, are very much like um, large workplaces. And we are not, we are, we, since we, the super spreading events in meatpacking plants seem to have died down. The super, you know, that people are doing office work together. And according to Stephanie Browning's statement at the city council meeting, in her office, people are only wearing masks when they are away from their desks. So when people are sitting at their desks six feet apart, they are not wearing masks. So uh, I am feeling like whatever I implement in my office, if it is as good or better than what the health department is doing, I'm, I'm, I'm being responsible. So if we have people, and so those are people who are sitting six feet away from each other all day, and then compared to a classroom, which, you know, is an hour, two, three hours at the most. Um, So I just wanted to calm that down a little bit. 
I think I think that they have a good plan, and I, I think we ought to let them work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, great. Thank you. I and then I. I just yeah. want to say that I I personally, too, was confused when I read the different articles about, you know, students rec- not required to report positive, students know, required like to report po- Yeah, it, it was confusing. Cough on everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's next on the docket? What's next? I wanted to let people know that the proton pump inhibitors, those PPIs, the purple pills, um, uh, now I'm not even thinking of a single name of one of them, um, they are used for... Uh, 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 gastroesophageal reflux disorder, so heartburn. Um, and they um, are associated with increased risk of intestinal infections. And there has been some concern that maybe they're also an increased risk for respiratory infections, but some of that has not been validated by uh, follow-up studies. But it appears that, so there's somebody that some folks at uh, Cedar sinai in L.A. and somebody at the University of Michigan. I'm going to give you their names. Christopher Almiro and Brennan Spiegel in L.A. and Dr. William Che at the University of Michigan. They did an online population-based study of Americans from May 3rd to June 24th. Um, and what they noticed was a correlation between proton pump inhibitor use and uh, diagnosis of, of um COVID-19. And um, there was a dose response curve. So you had about a twofold increase in, in uh, risk of getting the testing positive. If you took these medicines once a day, if you took them twice a day, it was three and a half times. So the fact there's a little bit of a dose response curve and that there's some thought that in a study this small, a two-fold increase may just be statistical noise, but this over three-fold increase is pro- is likely to be um, actually a true causation rather than just an association. And so the recommendation is that, and that we did not see that same correlation between um, the uh, H2 receptor blockers, so cimetidine, tagamant, those older uh, medicines. Um, all of these medicines, omeprazole um, is the one I'm trying to think of, the proton pump inhibitors. So all of these medicines are available over the counter, and so many people are self-treating with them. And um, we have always said that we wanted people to take the proton pump inhibitors. They are not approved for use more than six months, and they have a significant rebound effect. So when people take them for six months and then try to get off of them, they often get worse symptoms. Um, but there are ways to taper off of them. There are patient advocacy groups that are helping each other get off these proton pump inhibitors for other reasons as well, and that tapering down to an H2 blocker, tagamet or cimetidine, Zantac. Um, are uh, options and can sometimes be helpful. And if you need some help getting off of them, your primary care provider could help you with that. And this might be a good time to wean off of them unless you have a compelling medical diagnosis and a reason to be on them, in which case you probably should have a conversation with your, uh, with your physician. And then I had I had another study line another article lined up, but it is too long for us to get into it in a minute. So we will put that on for Thursday. It's like thinking about how to think about this more in a long term fashion because mm-hmm. it's pretty clear that this is not just a two month shutdown and then it's all going to be over. We can go back to hugging each other and having big dinners. Right, right. Even as much as we want it to be so. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Anything else so, you want to cover for today, or do you want to go um, a little bit deeper on the on anything we've talked about? 
um, so I wanted to um, let people know that tomorrow my guest is Dr. Tim O'Connor, who is a neonatologist, a specialist in uh, newborn babies, especially those that are born premature or sick for some reason, um, at Boone Hospital Center. And um, he's going to be talking about this uh, decrease in prematurity we've seen during the COVID uh, time and what that might mean and what wisdom we can take from it. So we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. And then um, Thursday, I'd love to get into the uh, talk about um, uh, endurance. And then just, you know, Sarah and I, I had Sarah uh, Davis on last week, and we talked about uh, transmission in in children. And there were two studies that we um, focused on, and there have been uh, three new uh, uh, research studies that have come out since we talked. So um, we'll be talking about those again on Thursday. So long term and what happens to children. And I'm hoping on uh, Wednesday night, unless something happens, I just recorded a lovely interview uh, for Your Health Matters uh, of a, um, a, a really thoughtful person who is running a, an immersion uh, outdoor preschool uh, to talk about um, what outdoor education can look like if people are interested, willing, and uh, enthusiastic, and if regulators will uh, be supportive of what possibilities, you know, what one possibility is for um, continuing to educate our children, have them have interaction with their peers and with uh, caring, thoughtful adults that are interested in their intellectual development uh, and um, continue to get the nutritional and psychological support. But that could happen outdoors where we know all of our interactions are lower risk for transmitting uh, SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. Great. Sounds like a great week of of different guests and different topics to cover. Right. So remember, everybody, that tomorrow's Election Day, so this is your last day to vote absentee in person. Mm -hmm. You could go to the uh, county clerk's office. I plan on heading over there um, as soon as we're done here. And uh, tomorrow is Election Day, so you can vote uh, from uh, very early in the morning, I think 6 o'clock until 7 Mm p.m., either at your um, local polling place or at the Boone County uh, Government Building in the Council Chambers. Um, there we have many important things uh, that I hope that all of our listeners have an opinion about, uh, people running for office and also the expansion of Medicaid is on our, our ballot. So that is an important thing. And tonight's city council meeting, um, and they're going to be looking at many things, I'm sure. And one of them is whether they want to hold a special election in September to consider the the issue of roll carts. So uh, there's lots going on. There's lots of ways for people to be um, engaged. And I'm have asking everybody to wash your hands, wear your mask, take your vitamin D, regardless of how much sunshine you get, and cultivate a, um, a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral infection. And I will be talking with you tomorrow. Great. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you so much, Dr. Thanks. Alleman. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. You can catch Community Pulse Monday through Thursday at 9 a.m. on KOPN. And as always, we want to know what questions, comments, and insights you have related to coronavirus. You can leave a message for us at 573-874-1139, email gm at kopn.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram. Up next is an abridged version of Background Briefing. Thank you so much for listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, your volunteer-run, listener-supported, open-access community radio station. Have a great day.